BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. That uh, the team is now uh, kind of shifting vision and, and that uh, they're looking to compete uh, now for 2025 and 2026. Uh, and that... Um, you know, 2024, there, it was not going to be a reload situation uh, in New York and that it was going to be more of a transition um, in 2024 and uh, that they're, you know, we're looking to, um, you know, make decisions you know, for, uh, to compete outside my contract window. Um, I said, okay, you know, that's a, you know, brand new, <laughs> brand news to me, um, different than what I'd ever, ever heard out of uh, Steve's mouth. I was like, all right, I got to hear this directly from Steve. So I had a phone call with Steve. Um, and he basically articulated the same uh, vantage point, that that was the new vision for the Mets. Uh, that was the new timeline that they were identifying and that, um, you know, players that were under contract for uh, next year, that they could be potentially sold off at the deadline right now and that the team could be really flipped around uh, at the deadline, you know, as we speak. Uh, and so once it became, the, you know, official, that's the vision for the Mets, um, then I said, yes, I'd, I, w- I will waive my uh, no-trade clause underneath those, under, underneath those pretenses. So I'm, I'm details, you know, I think I, you know, said this after we, after we uh, ended up moving Max that, you know, any of the conversations I had had with him, you know, leading into the, leading into his last start as a Met, um, and then any conversations that I'd had after, I, um, I just, you know, want to, you know, want to kind of honor the, um, you know, those conversations that we had. And I, I don't really want to talk about them publicly. Um, but, uh, you know, I know I did state, you know, with um, with a lot of you when we were talking about it, that, you know, going into 2024, that we wouldn't have the same odds, um, you know, that we did maybe going into 2022 or 2023, you know, kind of looking at like the, the preseason odds, whether you want to look at, um, you know, some of the, um, you know, some of the forecasting, um, you know, platforms that, that go out and the athletic or fan graphs or baseball prospectus, or even if you want to look at what the, you know, sports books in Vegas are, are saying the major league baseball over unders are, um, you know, but I had articulated that, that going into 2024, you know, we don't see ourselves that ha- we'll have in the same odds that we didn't in 2022, 2023, but we will feel the competitive team. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, August the 2nd, 2023. Of course, 
I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, it's never a good sign after the trade deadline that the Mets are actually in the process of playing. I come to you with a special edition of the show, a trade deadline recap. You know me. I don't like to be the first that jumps out with a reaction. I like to sit back. I like to see things develop. I like to see all sides of the story. I like to marinate on it. And then I like to give you my thoughts because I want to give you a well-balanced, well-thought-out opinion. So I come to you this midweek. As I said on Sunday, I planned on doing it all along. I had a feeling there was going to be more activity. I did not think, well, at the beginning, about a couple of weeks ago, I thought it would be more of a sell-off-the-free-agent deadline. But after the Max Scherzer deal on Saturday, I knew that there was going to be some activity. And uh, away we go. So here I am with this special trade deadline edition, trade deadline, post-trade deadline edition of the Talking Mets podcast. So to set this up real quick, um, I'm going to give you what my desires were, but I also kind of warned you on Sunday after the Max Scherzer trade, after listening to Billy Epler, that we are in a rebuilding phase of this program, of the Mets season, and perhaps for a couple of seasons. And and what that means, I think the initial reaction and the words of Billy Epler and then Steve Cohen, who was in Kansas City to speak with reporters and the team, I think we need to take a step back and understand what rebuilding means for this Mets team and this owner and what rebuilding is in the wild card era. So we'll take that, we'll parse that out a little bit. But just to let you guys know, I mean, and I had this written out, I had this all ready to go, and I was thinking after the Robertson trade to do a reactionary show last week, I said this to you on Sunday, because there was so much angst about how the Robertson trade was made too quick and they could have gotten more and they could have waited to the deadline. Well, guess what, guys? You think no matter how big your staff is, you think you could have pulled off Scherzer, Verlander, Robertson, Pham, um, Canna, all the deadline, wait to the last minute, and send money over, complicated financial transactions, and get a big return? That's a lot of work. That's not the way this thing happens. And and I think the Mets knew that there'd be a bit of a bigger market, perhaps, for uh, Verlander and Scherzer, not perhaps, definitely, than Robertson, even though he was a commodity that was out there. And, and the Mets did phenomenally well. They acquired six prospects prospects I mean they traded Dominic Leone and I don't know what the kid turns out to be from Anaheim but he was a top 10 prospect or top 15 prospect for the Angels and I'm like saying to myself um I mean come on I mean who's gonna get Dominic Leo I mean that was a scrappy pickup about uh, a month and a half ago uh so an interesting deadline but my desire from the start was hey look if you're not gonna get anything of value why send uh, gift players over to save Cohen money? He doesn't care about saving money. Uh, you want to be able to see. You're only six games out. I mean, the, the, and Kana actually said this when he was talking to the Milwaukee media. The shame of it all is a little bit better June. And I think we're talking about a different Mets season. And I think everybody agrees with that. But that that's the way baseball is. I mean, it's truly a game of inches. It truly is. And... You know, the frustrating part is, is that you could pick out five or six games, like I said on Sunday, 
from the first few months of the year. And we're not even having this conversation. We're having a completely different conversation. As a matter of fact, we're probably having a conversation when the Mets added, and we're excited about the possibility of this team getting into the tournament and how nobody would want to face a Mets team with Scherzer and Verlander at the top of the rotation, regardless of what kind of seasons they had, in a short postseason series. And in the three wild card era, that's why I said one more rodeo. I had it all written out. Go to one more rodeo with Scherzer and Verlander. Even as 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 I talked about rebuilding and the possibility of that happen. But last year, if you remember, I did a show maybe around this time post-deadline where I talked about how maybe 2022 is the Mets' best chance with this group. At that time, you had DeGrom coming off the injury. You had Scherzer. You knew about the age. You knew that actually uh, with Taiwan Walker and at the time Carrasco potentially being a, a free agent, Bassett being a free agent, that you were going to have to rebuild that pitching staff. Yeah, you're in the, the heart of the prime of guys like Lindor and Alonzo and McNeil and so on and Nimmo and so on, but Nimmo was a free agent. Diaz was a free agent. So you really had a situation where, hey, maybe 2022 was the Mets' best chance with this group. And it turns out I was right. I was hoping I was wrong I was right. And when Scherzer signed back in December 2021, I said, you're going to have this window between 2022 and Scherzer's option year of 2024 where you got to go for it. Now, you thought maybe DeGrom would be part of it. They switched DeGrom for Verlander. But everything went bad this year from the Correa signing, um, you know, fizzling out, Diaz getting hurt, underperformance, this general malaise that the club and that Steve Gelbs talked about before the broadcast on Saturday that has gone on. And, and really, I think, if you had a point to when you knew 2023 wasn't happening, as much as we wanted to lie to ourselves and say it's early, the signs when they went to Atlanta and got swept and both Scherzer and Verlander blew leads and, and Verlander in a fabulous way with no command and they got swept, and they and then they lost that that late lead in the final game to complete the sweep. And Robertson, I believe, blew a save. You really knew at this point that the season was going in the wrong direction. And maybe the Mets front office said at that point, as they watched Scherzer struggle, as they watched Verlander still trying to figure out how to come back from that major injury, the Terra's major injury that he had coming out of spring training, that this is not happening. These guys are declining. They're only going to get a year older. And the rebuild, which I personally, what what you saw happen over the last five days, is something that I told you last year. This could very well be the case at the end of the Scherzer contract. This is not a team right now with the farm system that can just slide players in and say, all right, Scherzer's gone. What's the next young player? What's the next young pitcher to go out there and get? And really, if you want to be honest, and anybody who's been talking you know, has been talking about the Mets and been on this show and been interacting with me for the better part of since its inception in 2016, knows that this scenario that is in front of us with the reboot, rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, has been something that's been hanging over the team's head for a really, really long time. Probably since Sandy Alderson got sick and left the organization in 2017 into 2018. And... um It was hard to fathom so soon at that point after the World Series with guys like DeGrom and Syndergaard and Mats and and Wheeler coming back from an injury in their heart of their prime and at the the kind of pitching that 
doesn't come around a lot. And you could see now how special that was because look at how the Mets have struggled in the rotation and look at all the questions about how they're going to get pitching now that Scherzer and Verlander are gone. So for a while, there's been a clamor from the media, from the fans to rebuild. Brody Van Wagenen came in with the owners desperately wanting to win, maybe because they knew they needed to do something to save their ownership. And if COVID doesn't happen, I still think the Wilpons are hanging on to this team because they always seem to find a financial way, although it was becoming harder and harder and harder. And in the way the way that the game is now, how expensive it is to build a team, how expensive even very good players like a Taiwan Walker costs 18 to $20 million. It was inevitable that, a, a, and, and under the Wilpons, it would have been a true raise and rebuild. Houston Astros, Chicago Cubs. And when Brody Van Wagenen was interviewed and a lot of GMs were interviewed back in 2018, that's what a lot of these guys wanted to do. And I'm not in favor of that. And I think that that is a death knell in this town. And at that time, it was even worse because the Yankees were on an upswing after a short reboot. They truly did a reboot when you had the young, the, the Sanchez's and the Judd's and the Glyber Torres and the Yankees are going into the championship series in back-to-back years and, and nearly made the World Series in, in 2019. So, you know, it was something that was always like, we can't do this. There's got to be a way to leverage this pitching. And in a lot of ways, what I was saying during those years, I was I was saying again, you've got these two aces, these two Hall of Famers. Yes, they're not vintage Scherzer. Yes, they're not vintage Verlander. But... You got a couple of years, go for it. There's always time to tear it down. Well, Billy Epler and Steve Cohen, and and they talk about math, and they talk about probabilities. And I I guess, even though I agree 100%, it was long odds for the rest of this year, although I think with this team intact, maybe things could have been a little bit different in Kansas City. Maybe you take two out of three, maybe an inch closer to 500. And six games out, although there was a lot of teams in the muck, in the mix for the wild card, is not insurmountable on August 1st. We've seen a a lot bigger deficits be made up a lot later in the season, 2007 Phillies. Different circumstances, of course. So it was a shock, and and it was a shock. And even when Verlander was traded, I was shocked because I'm like, this is really happening. They're tearing this team down. And at that point, I remember I tweeted, if you're going this route now, you know, you're hearing Scherzer talk. You heard the clips coming in that they're rebooting and they're not going to be competitive for a couple of years. Go after, you know, get Quintana out of here. You know, trade whatever you can't nail down. And I'm even thinking, and you can't do it at the deadline. Does that mean Nimmo's going? Does that mean Alonzo's going? I mean, with the way Cohen is uh, buying these contracts out, I mean, conceivably this offseason, you could trade Nimmo, you could trade Alonzo and get major prospects if you're going to pick up whatever portion of the salary they're going to pick up. I mean, owners are like pigs and you know what with this. Prospects, they're telling their GM, forget about prospects. We're going to steal a star player and he's going to pay for us to do it. And and I saw some commentary on Twitter. This probably also could scare the bejesus out of some of these owners because Steve Cohen's using his largesse, his checkbook, to now buy a farm system. He bought a star-studded roster. It didn't work. He's buying a farm system. Will it work? Who knows? I mean, you, all you could do is hope for that the scouting, that the fact that they went to Houston, that, that maybe that was the only team Verlander would waive the no trade. I find that hard to believe. I think the Dodgers would have been one of those. I, I, I was off put by the fact that the Mets have to give the Dodgers another wealthy team money for prospects. But it seems like the structure has been built by the industry through the media as like, this is the new way of doing business. And, and I think owners on the other side of the table, like, I'm not going to help that guy. And I think Cohen knows it. And I think the only way he can 
get what he wants is the way that usually wealthy people get what they want. They spend. And they spend a lot because at the end of the day, money talks. And I don't care if you hate Steve Cohen, love Steve Cohen, and think he's the worst thing that's ever happened to the sport. When he waves green in front of you, I don't care what owner you are. You could be the biggest, you know, anti-union, you know, former, you know, Selig collusion acolyte. You're going to probably play ball in that scenario. So one more rodeo, my plan for 2024, for going into 2025 of Lander, blown up right in my face. Um, and, and the hope of a title or a pennant and Cohen building this foundational legacy with money is, is really out the window. And I think Cohen's more comfortable now with going this route because he's shown what he can do. He's wiped away the stench of the Mets being cheap. And I think now, talking to Billy Epler, and also trying to recruit a president of baseball operations, whether that's David Stearns or someone else, I don't know if you could do that as easily without having some kind of sustainable farm system. And this team just doesn't have it. Now, before this week, I think now you look at an updated prospect ranking. I think you could feel a lot better about things, but you know we'll get to what really the focus should be in just a couple of minutes. So we'll we'll get to that. Um, Scherzer's comments versus Billy Epler's, and I know people are complaining. You know, Billy lied in this. Billy Epler code worded you on Saturday or Sunday. Whenever that clip from earlier in the week I put up there, that the team was going to take a step back, that they weren't going to be going out and going bananas and signing the Carlos Correa's or anybody to crazy contracts. Here's the other part: if you look at the free agent list that's coming off season, there's some nice names. There's also some names that are from the Far East that you know whether they're top they're top free agents or not is debatable, but. I don't think there's names here where I personally would go out and pay A money for B or B minus talent. And I think that's something that the old Mets, they would do, you know, pay B money to C talent, uh, would do. And I don't think that they're going to do that. And I think that they look at the 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 free agent landscape and they could go out there and say, hey, you know, we're not going to spend as much. We're not going to double down on bad money by giving uh, B talent A money. Because that's what Steve Cohen's going to have to do is give A money. So you have the two comments, but in the end, in a three wild card era, in an environment where you're really not out of the race until, and and, and maybe there's years where, let me preface it by saying, maybe there's years where it's not quite as a parody driven league as it is now. I think all sports are trying to get more parody, whether it be with salary caps or preventing super teams or putting in rules that prevent players from pushing their way to teams. I mean, look, one of the reasons why I think the league got rid of the waiver wire deadline is to prevent teams from dumping players for salary purposes post-trade deadline and stacking their teams as they get closer and closer to September when more teams fall out. And and really, I think, with the way this wild card is, and I've been advocating this for a long time, I think you got to make the deadline August 15th. I think you got to push it back two weeks. I think you got to make it August 15th. You got to give teams a couple of more weeks to figure things out because you are having teams like the Mets that conceivably could have hung in there a couple of more weeks waving the white flag. And I don't think that that's also good for the game. I think you're now, in a certain way, teasing fan bases a little bit by keeping the bar low, 
but having, you know, what is it, instead of July 31st, August 1st, I mean, you're not really moving the deadline that much. You're moving it 24 hours. So that's something. But in a three wild card environment, teams like the Cubs that are 54 and 53, they're in the race. It doesn't take a star-studded roster to be 500. It doesn't take that. And you could hang around 500, and you could screw around until July 31st. And then all of a sudden, you look at your roster, you're like, hmm, I need this, this, and this, and voila, all of a sudden, you're a tournament team. Now, that doesn't mean you're a World Series contender, and that doesn't mean that you're likely to make it through the tournament, but you're in the tournament. And I think that's the rebuild that they're talking about. I'm not trying to rationalize Billy Epler's comments, but I also don't think that this is, and he didn't lie about this, this is not tear it down to the studs liquidation a la post-1997 Marlins. Now, here's one thing I will say. Because both sides, the Scherzer commentary as well as the Epler commentary, have credence. At this point, after you've seen Steve Cohen in action now for three seasons, really. After you saw how he impulsively, while he's having dinner in Hawaii, signed Correa to a 12-year deal. While he pivoted almost on a dime from being a big spending, top payroll, top five team in baseball type of talent to selling off assets and paying down the money, future Hall of Famers, you can't take anything off the table. So anybody who thinks that my concept of trading Pete Alonso, which I talked about two weeks ago, is crazy, or that sending Nimmo out and 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 paying the money is crazy, McNeil, anything. You know, I think Lindor is untradeable, but you never know. I think you have to say that this owner is willing to put anything on the table to make the team better, and to get what he wants in that span of time. Now, will that become tiresome and stressful for the fans? And will that blow up in his face? Will Scherzer go out, pitch really well down the stretch for Texas, and Verlander go to Houston and look like vintage Verlander, and all they needed to do was get a little bit of season under them, and then the juice of seeing the postseason, get that final remnants of sunshine out of them? Think back to Vince Scully in For the Love of the Game and, and the Billy... Uh, a Billy Chapel, the Kevin Costner character, you know, one more day of sunshine, right? One more day. You know, can that happen? You know, um, it's possible. And then you could sit here and kick yourself. But that wasn't what the math said. That wasn't what Cohen wanted to play. He talked about it. And maybe these guys are too analytical, Cohen being the hedge fund guy and the poker player and the analytics guy and Billy Epler, Mr. Inside Baseball Analytics. But that's where it is. So, I think nobody lied to you. I think we're surprised because we've never seen this before. I mean, the Mets have never really rebuilt. Think about it in their history. One time, really, post-1992, the worst team money can buy, they took a step back and were non-competitive. And they were non-competitive in the Madoff, post-Madoff years, 11, 12, 13, lesser extent, 14. All they had to do was throw in a couple of free agents. I mean, I think when you when you really dial in, this Mets team now kind of resembles those 12, 13 Mets teams. But I think Cohen this offseason might invest a little bit in that. And we'll, we'll briefly get into that. That's a larger conversation, one that will develop. It's not one that we're going to dive in deep to today. So um, am I surprised? Yes, I didn't expect that. Am I disappointed? Yes. I wanted one more rodeo. And I think you could have... You know, trade a little Robinson. You wanted to trade Fam. You wanted to trade Canna. 
go out, replace those guys with Verlander and Scherzer and Quintana as a three and Kodai Singh as a four. And you know what? You could figure out your fifth starter. You get Carrasco out of here. And then all you got to do is find one pitcher and maybe sign a little bit of depth. Or maybe some of the kids you got coming up through the system could finally be your six, seven, eight, nine. It's not a bad, you know, Diaz coming back. Bullpen arms are not that hard to find. Maybe you fill in a couple of component offensive players and you got this expensive roster, but already you're paying these guys. I mean, why pay somebody for Scherzer to win a World Series for them? Why pay Verlander for somebody else to win a World Series with them? But that's not the way it went. Anything's on the table. I think you have to really understand now. This owner, this organization at this point in time is prone to do anything. And it's crazy when you think about it. It's truly the back of the cab. It's truly this wild ride. And all you could do is sit back and say, where's this going now? And and watch and wonder. And there's a little anxiety with that, but it also makes things fun. So that's where we're at. Before I take a break, because I really want to dive in briefly, and I'm not going to go on too long today because this is a reaction show to the deadline. I want to kind of give you what I'd like to see for the rest of the season. Because now you're like, all right, and I'm coming to you in the middle. I believe the Mets are down 3 nothing in a game in Kansas City. They lose on a balk-off, which, as I said on Twitter, is not the first time they've lost in a balk-off. They did in 1989, Roger McDowell in L.A. So that was something that I even you know, had to correct the great Howie Rose. So um, what do I want to see? I think it's pretty obvious the first thing I want to see. Beatty's got to play every day. Vientos has got to play every day in some capacity. Alvarez is already playing every day. At some point, maybe Mauricio gets a chance. I still don't think Mauricio comes up until after the minor league season. From what I understand, he's now playing center field. I think what they're trying to figure out is how versatile Mauricio could be. Could he be a super sub? I need to see these guys every day. Beatty in particular is somebody I'm keeping an eye on because he's looked awful. There is not one aspect of his game that looks elite. There's not one aspect of his game that looks league average. And my thing with Beatty, if your defense is going to be as bad as Beatty's defense has been, and it has not really gotten better. I know Eric Chavez believes in him. I'm glad, and I trust Eric Chavez, a guy that is an elite defensive player when he played, a very good third baseman, someone who went through his own struggles and understands the development of getting up to the big leagues. I have to see more, and I'd like to see some progress over the next six or seven or eight weeks. And I believe, you know, knowing what they said, Beatty's going to be a third baseman in 2024. So when you go into the spring next year and they say they're going to be competitive, they're not going to go out and sign a, a Matt Chapman and, and throw Beatty in left field. They're not going to do that based on the words they're telling us. They're going to give Beatty a shot. And then if he if he falls flat on his face next year, then maybe some things change. Vientos, I'm not sure. Can he be a DH? Can he be a guy that hits lefties? Can he give you 300 to 350 solid at-bats as a component player, a right-handed Vogel back? We'll see. Hasn't shown that he can consistently hit. Alvarez has blown away my expectations. I figured he'd pop home runs. I wasn't sure how good of a hit he would be. I didn't think he'd be anything behind the plate. He's got a good arm. The pitchers have loved throwing to him. I mean, Scherzer, who's not a guy that's easy to impress, has said nothing but great things about him when he was here. Big home run yesterday. Elite power. If Alonzo's here for the long term, Alvarez and Pete, even when he's here for the short term, in the middle of that lineup is a dynamic power uh, duo in the middle. 
between the both of them, they could hit 75 home runs, 80 home runs alone, and give the Mets the kind of power that they probably missed last year. And we'll see. So, Beatty, Vientos, Alvarez, Mauricio at some point. You like them to, to join the group. That's probably September. Now on the pitching side. Time to put the big boy pants, Peterson and McGill. Throw them out there. Let them start. I don't care if they get their blocks knocked off. You know, I need to see what they got left. There's no more pressure now. Can they develop to the pitchers that we think they could be? Could they, you know, maybe they're not as good as, oh, McGill might not be as good as McGill April of 2022. Can Peterson be something like he was for a good chunk of subbing in for Max Scherzer? In 2022, can you get back of the rotation, number four, number five performances from these guys? Because I'll be honest with you, you got some kids flying up behind them. The time is now. Peterson is not far away from becoming the Dom Smith of pitchers. Where he's just going to bounce around from team to team and they're going to see if they could get lightning in a bottle. And more than likely, he's never going to make it. McGill might have more rope here because he was hurt last year. But again, McGill's not too far off from being that guy like, all right, we'll put you in the bullpen and then you stink in the bullpen and then, you know, you're you're designated for assignment. You're not you're non-tendered or whatever it may be. They're on that cusp. Now, I don't think the Mets are going to give them up until they absolutely have to because they don't have enough pitching. They have to hold on to them. And at the very least, they're going to hope, hey, if they got options, can we do, can they be the sixth or seventh option in a rotation pecking order? I think we have to see if them take inventory of the monitors. We, you know, today is not the day where I'm going to start going down and running down the prospect look. Look, I got the updated Mets prospect list up. Very impressive. You know, depending on where you you know saw them at, uh, you know, guys like an Alex Ramirez who were top five prospects are pushed all the way down. You know, Jet Williams who was a top prospect was moved down. Like they acquired some really elite talent with Acuna, with Gilbert, who, who you know sounds like a really fun player. You know, Clifford and the power that he could produce, you know, we'll see. But really, guys, ultimately, the names that you need to pay attention to, because I don't know what a Gilbert will become, or Clifford will become, or Okun will become, or these two kids from the Marlins that are years away. Put away all these offensive pieces that they acquired. Because make no mistake, they did acquire a couple pitchers. They did. They, you know, including, you know, a guy that from Milwaukee in uh, Justin Jarvis that, could potentially help next year as maybe that fifth or sixth or seventh starter in the rotation. But the names you have to be aware of here are Blade Tidwell, Tyler Stewart, Christian Scott, Dominic Hamill, Mike Vazel, who's struggling a lot in AAA. Those five names are five pitchers that I think within the next 24 months, the next two seasons, the hope is that two of them could potentially go into that rotation and provide quality innings, even if it's at a number four, number five starter pace. You need, pitching is expensive. Good pitchers, as I said, cost $20 million at least. You cannot have a payroll that is anywhere near not crazy over the luxury tax with a 90% tax rate without having some cost-controlled parts of your roster. You just can't. And pitching in particular is expensive. These kids. Now, is would it be great to say that a Tidwell becomes Noah Syndergaard or Tyler Stewart becomes Steven Matz or Christian Scott becomes Jacob DeGrom or whatever? It would be great if you had another Wheeler, Harvey, DeGrom, Matz. It would be great, Syndergaard. I'm not banking on that. 
And I'm not calling it a failure if they, they, they don't have all five of these guys like that group came through. But you got to get a couple of these guys out. And if not these guys, there's somebody they drafted this year that could emerge. Not everybody comes out of college or high school or drafted as a top 10 prospect. DeGrom wasn't. Even Syndergaard, when he was drafted by the Blue Jays, didn't jump into the top right away. They develop into that. There was even questions about Harvey, whether he was a starter. So that's what you have to look at. And if those arms flop or they take steps back or their ETA, whatever you know you think, 25, 24, then you got a problem because then you got to hope that you acquire more pitching because they didn't acquire any pitching with these trades. And that was one of the things that was a prerequisite, in my opinion, when I was talking about selling is got to focus on pitching, 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 more pitching. The Mets seem to focus more on hitting, or they probably focused on the best prospects they could get, which is fine. But it puts more pressure on them unless they're that confident in this group that they have the arms, not just those names I gave you that are more near term, but more down the line that we're not talking about. And as we get deeper into the season and in the offseason, with the way that the team is in this current phase, we will learn, We will dive more into minor leagues because admittedly that's not been a focus the last couple of years. It's been about the ownership. It's been about the spending. It's been about the manager. It's been about the general manager. It's been about the big league team. And yeah, we talk a little bit about Alvarez and Beatty, but honestly, this show hasn't been that. Now we shift our focus. The getting to know you phase, what do they need phase, go get it done phase, that doesn't apply anymore. Right now we're like, hey, what? how are you going to make the rest of the season productive? What are we going to learn? It's almost like another getting to know you phase. We're back kind of into that because you're, you're in a non-contending situation. You're trying to get to see more of Beatty and Vientos and Peterson and McGill. Those guys I want to see because I want to know, is it worth investing any more time in these guys? Or are they transitional players that will be replaced in a better time? We'll see. And Beatty's one that I'm going to be all over. Because I've heard a lot about him. i heard a lot of good things about his makeup. I see nothing. Zero zilch nada that tells me this is a good player. But he's young. You don't want to judge him off of half a season or two-thirds of a season. But... I don't. I can't point to one thing that's excited me about Brett Beatty so far since he got called up. Maybe his first game in Atlanta when he had a home run in his first at bat, something like that. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm gonna briefly just outline why. Yes, they're rebuilding. Yes, we have to take a step back. Yes, we're disappointed, but they're not like unless there's more to come in the off season of a strip down. It's not completely hopeless, especially in a three wild card era. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.